Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Carm Taglienti, Chief Data Officer and Data AI Portfolio Director for Insight. Insight is a leading IT solutions provider specializing in streamlining enterprise data infrastructure. Carm returns to the program a final time to talk about the future of generative AI capabilities, offering predictions that the technology will be characterized by more complex and efficient models, faster training and inference. Later, we pull apart what these improvements mean, both in their range of capabilities and applicability across industries. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Carm, thanks so much for being back on the program. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. We've spent two episodes laying the groundwork for what are best strategies for implementing AI, taking it from the pre-production phase all the way to deployment. We've talked about some high ROI use cases. I think now's the time to talk about the future. As we always love to do predictions, you know, we're not holding anybody to tell us exactly what the world's going to look like in five years, three years, or anything like that. Uh, But we just talked to smart people who are in positions of power and positions of responsibility to the point where they can't help but notice that certain aspects of technology are going to remain, you know, a few years into the future. And I think it's always good to try to get a a good sense of what are those immovables? What do we know won't change? And maybe just try to imagine what life's going to look like around that. So no one knows exactly what this is going to look like, but just given your vantage point, everything that you're seeing at Insight, what can't you help but notice will have to change in the next five years just in terms of generative AI? Yeah, that's a great question. So in terms of what you know, has to change. I think it it really has to do with an organization's ability to be adaptive because the horse is out of the barn. We're moving. Gen AI is here. Well, AI has been here for a long time, but I think right now it's it's sort of a if you don't adapt or adopt now, you're going to miss the boat. And so that's one thing I think that is clear, at least from the way that we are thinking about it. The other thing I think that organizations really do have to focus on is innovation. Because I think in a lot of ways, and this has been something that's just been a ramification of the culture, I think, when we think about Gen AI. I can't tell you how many times I think I've talked to people within my own organization and I've talked to you know hundreds of people um, in other organizations, but everybody's got great ideas. And so this is really, organizations have to become more innovative culturally. They have to be able to foster these ideas, think about them, because where do the best ideas come from? It's from everybody. That's sort of this inclusive culture model. And sort of you know, when you think about the best organizations, like the apples of the world, it's like, where do all the ideas come from? They don't come from one person. They come from a group. And so I think organizations have to be able to embrace it. And so think about where does all this come from? So those are, I know, probably are not the exact things that you're expecting me to answer, but those, sure. those are things that I think are really critical to this. You know, the other thing I think that is going to be maybe a big focus for us moving forward is we have to double down on the importance of data. Data has never been really a first-class citizen up until this point. We do talk about data as an asset, but it's not really, you know, you don't see it on, you know, any inventory of assets within the organization, but it's there. And this is going to help drive this forward. So the importance of that, I think, is going to change over time within any organization because that is your true asset now. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing in your last answer, just with what you were talking about in terms of companies needing to get innovative, they need to enable their employees to you know, think of these solutions and have the time to think of these solutions. Just from our last two episodes, I think that's something that the process of starting with these models might beget. Along the way, we were talking a lot about how, you know, generative AI, especially there are these use cases that will unlock, you know, productivity. They will solve the minor pain points in workflows and that from the get go, as soon as you're solving those pain points, those employees have more time to think about their tasks, how they're doing them, and they have the free time, the ability to be innovative. But that's already along the process. You know, you, they, they need to have the generative AI at their disposal to make the workflow change and then have that time. But just just to underscore my point that, you know, as you're implementing these systems, those benefits will beget themselves. You're saving time for your employees. Your employees have more time to think about what they're doing and bring innovation to the process. Right. But you also brought up data and that it's a second class citizen even right now. I know we've been bopping back and forth between what do we call this age? Is it the age of data? Is it the age of AI? Is it going to be the age of generative AI? And I think that just speaks to how much is is sort of up in the air right now. But let's focus on data just in terms of business leaders and how they typically think about it. I know you're in a lot of situations where you're trying to win executive buy-in, but what do you find are the most unhelpful mentalities when it comes to data? Or what are ways that business leaders think of data that's just not helpful to these conversations? or at least adopting generative AI in a way that's going to bring about a high ROI? I think it's it's a really good question because I think most executives, I think within organizations, probably don't want to say that we don't really have a good handle on our data. But I yeah. think there's just sort of a mindset, which is we capture data, we put it into a lake, we store it someplace, but it's not really well taken care of because I think the investment is not there. It's sort of like, you know, spending a lot of money on your plumbing within your house and not really just focusing on the fact that it's, I want a really nice faucet, you know, kind of thing. It's like, it's sort of that mm -hmm. analogy. It's like, you really do have to focus on the plumbing. And I think many organizations are, looking at the shiny object. It's like, I really want to focus on the shiny object. And so maybe I'm ignoring my data assets, but I think that mentality has to change over time in order for us to be more effective. So I think many executives are really looking at it probably more as a shift in terms of what's driving the value that I'm able to see from generative AI. And it has to be the data assets. So I think, you know, maybe to answer your question more specifically, it really has to do with, I think there's sort of this blind eye that's being put on data as an asset within the organization. Yeah. And really making that, you know, a, a key business driver or something that's coming up in their in their metrics, not just something that is the water that comes out of the faucet, but really like the lifeblood of of the organization on on par with what, what you're seeing in the spreadsheets for for revenue, for profit, for everything else, because it, it's so much at the heart of those things. I also want to ask about two areas that I know out in the media, business leaders might have heard that, you know, AI is going to make a big impact and and just where you see these these things going. Something that we haven't been able to touch on in, in the last few episodes with great specificity. I know we've talked about it a little bit here, almost in passing, just in terms of, you know, making incremental changes to workflows and freeing up time for employees. But 
generative AI does stand to expedite training and inference operations for a lot of different organizations. There are advances in hardware and training techniques that might lead to AI models being trained more quickly and with lower latency. Where do you think this lands? What do you think the future of, of training is going to look like maybe after we get past this introductory phase of generative AI. It's sort of like the internet in 1998, where we're all impressed that a website uploaded in 40 seconds, but by 2004, you know, that's going to be a lifetime. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So in addition to chief data officer for my organization, I'm also an adjunct professor. So I, the, yeah. that aspect of it really, I think about quite a bit as it relates to training or education. So I guess I'll come back to the point I was making earlier about data. So if the if the information is not valid or accurate, it's going to be really difficult to use it for training purposes because it's sort of like, I don't know if you're familiar with Noam Chomsky, but basically what Noam talks about this concept of you can train an AI model or generative AI model more specifically to speak gibberish. And so long as you give it gibberish, it learns how to speak gibberish. And so because whatever you give it, it's going to use. So in that particular case, I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that if you use a training corpus of knowledge that is maybe not what you want it to be or expect it to be, you training not is not really valid. So just a little bit fearful that you could end up with sort of, you know, polluting the training environment by saying, oh, I trained, I got trained on a particular topic area, but it was the wrong topic area because it wasn't really knowledgeable in that case. Now, it's also true that maybe you can find an instructor that's going to give you you know, the kind of training that maybe isn't appropriate either. But in general, I think we will see this evolution more toward, you were talking earlier about sort of a corpus of data that maybe is more refined and, and well curated. And I think so long as we do that, then I, I can see this world where you can look at generative AI to help to learn. So you can ask questions, you can get answers, you can quickly really sort of move at the speed of thought in terms of, I want to understand a concept and you can really understand that concept well. One of the things that I do focus on as part of being uh, you know, in academia is different individuals learn different ways. So like the way that you yeah. learn is, you know, you might say, ask specific types of questions you want to dig into detail. And I might be like, no, I just want to understand high concepts and I'm, I'm good with that. So if somebody prepared, say, a, um, a syllabus for me that was completely different from the way I learn, I may not learn anything, whereas other people right. will. So now I can sort of learn the way I want to because of the fact that I can now interact with this knowledge base, which is, you know, hopefully tailored toward the types of learning that I'm expecting to get, but I do it the way I want to. And it it really helps that learning process overall. So I think that that's the evolution as we move forward. But there's a lot of work we still have to do in order to be able to get those, you know, the corpus of knowledge to the point where it can actually right. be adaptive to your preferred learning style. So I don't think I don't think instructors are going away anytime soon, but I do think in terms of, of augmentation, it's a great way to augment your learning. Right. It, it'd be almost that the instructor is there to give, you know, that fine tune and, and make sure that the AI is teaching the right information. But the AI is there so that no matter what the learning advantages or the preferred ways of learning for that employee, for that student in an educational context, the instructor's knowledge can be transferred no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, interesting. yeah, because I think the thing that is not coming from these systems is intent. 
It's like they don't really yeah. understand intent. So you can't just say, oh, well, go talk to the Gen AI because it understands the intent. It doesn't really understand that. So I think still the instructor, principal instructor, whatever you want to call it, is those people or learning and development organizations are the ones that really understand like what are the expected learning outcomes and then how do how do you help to ensure that while the individual is sort of working on this in their own experiential way, is able they're still able to amass the correct set of learning objectives that we expect them to. So but I think it makes things a lot simpler, though, in terms of the interactivity, because, you know, like you may not be a good test taker and I might be like, no, I love tests. You know, I, I just want to take I just want to take tests all day. But yeah. it's it's learning styles. And I think that adaptation really just sort of moves the needle significantly in terms of how people learn. And I think it just, you know, that's a good use of Gen AI for advancing humanity, not just putting us out of a job kind of thing. Of course. I take it that the capabilities of generative AI to level up organizations, capabilities in terms of regulation, compliance and oversight have to be an extension from that, because what is training other than guaranteeing that, you know, an employee is acting in compliance with, you know, what gets a 100 on a test? It's a lot of the same functionality, but there's also big possibilities here just in terms of being able to put a check on the biases that we've seen come out of certain data and AI-based system. Tell us about where the the rubber's hitting the road here and what are the, the real promises for generative AI when it comes to compliance? Yeah, so part of it is even what we just talked about, right? So it's training. It's, yeah, like, it's yeah. like how many people just go through the training and just, you know, click the button, they come back, and I don't, I don't do this ever, of exactly. course, but, it, you know, and they come back and they take the test at the end and it's like, oh, I, you know, I passed the test, but I didn't really listen to anything that was there. So I, I, right. I think in the generative AI world, we can now start thinking about it more in terms of, you know, maybe it's just a dialogue or it's a chat where you're able to sort of walk through, say, a chat with a, you know, Gen AI system that is more focused on helping you to understand some concepts. So you're having a conversation and learning the concepts as you go. That, I think, can, can sort of transform the way that we think about compliance. So you can cover the topics, but you're sort of having a conversation in the style that you want to have by learning some things as you go, as, as opposed to just sort of, you know, being the recipient of a bunch of information that somebody decided to project at you and then make you take a test at the end. So I think in those cases, compliance actually works out really well. The other thing I think that we can do, especially in the Gen AI world, is as we think about observational characteristics of this, let's just say, you know, email, you clicked on a phishing thing, yeah. so now all of a sudden it's like, I can actually produce content that helps you to understand why. So now I can sort of interact with you more specifically and say, hey, you shouldn't have clicked on that phishing email. Well, well, maybe I can understand why you did it. So I can take that information, create maybe some, you know, custom content for you to be able to say, well, Here's a situation that occurred. It's very specific to you. And then, you know, maybe you should have done things a little bit differently and sort of coach you while you're in the moment, as opposed to going at it from the perspective of go back and take the training again. It's a three hour course mm -hmm. and take the test at the end. So again, it increases your learning capability, but it's, it's happening now incrementally as opposed to just sort of, you know, this bespoke three hour session. So yeah. I, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that. It's sort of subtle nudging and coaching versus sitting down for two days and taking a training session. 
Yeah, but I think even, and, and I, I think this speaks to your background just in terms of being an instructor, but a lot of our educational use cases, whether or not they're industry-specific use case examples, we, we'd bring up just in terms of your work and insight. But I think that really illuminates the large-scale systematic changes that we're going to be seeing across industries, just in terms of this technology, not just being put in our hands right now, but as we see this technology get normalized. You know, I was talking about, you know, the early days of the internet before, basically just the difference between 1998 and 2004. You know, not just that, oh, you know, oh, great that this website loads. Isn't it great that New York Times has a website? But just even a few years later, all my neighbors have the internet. Why isn't the New York Times website loading in five seconds? You know, that that difference, I think, is is coming upon us. But as that sets in and we know that these are going to be the systemic changes that are downstream from generative AI, what do you think these improvements will mean in their range of capabilities and their applicability in various industries. When you were talking, I was thinking about focus on content. So I think quality of content now becomes the most important part of this. So it really is, instead of having to worry about the production or what's required in order to produce information, now we can focus more on what is being said or what is the quality of the content that is made available to us. And so I, I think that really ups the game a little bit in terms of can I actually produce content that is going to be valuable for consumption or that I might be interested in consuming? Or even from the perspective of as a recipient, I can sort of see things in the way that I want to see them. So it's maybe not even content production necessarily. Maybe it is, depending on how the modality that you want to consume it. But if it really is just a knowledge base of information that is produced, then I can say I can put it in a form that I want to consume it. And so I, I think in in different ways, it's sort of, you know, it's an interesting sort of, again, transformation in terms of how we learn, how we want to consume information, and then how we also want to produce information. And it, I'm not exactly sure where it ends up in general, because, you know, self-service is probably a model that where we start to move, you know, we think about maybe self-service knowledge is the way we go. How do we ensure the quality of what's being said to us because i mean we, we were gonna i don't want to go too far afield here but you know in general how do you know that you're you know what it is that you're seeing it's kind of like the ways of the internet today can you can yeah. you trust the content that you might find on the internet can you trust that the information that was even used to generate my you know whatever chat gpt's model mm-hmm. was that you know was there bias in there was there false information in there i don't know so It'll be interesting. I think as as we move yeah. forward, maybe it's going to be something where it's like check, validate. Gen AI tools might be able to help us do that. We might be able to say that, can yeah. you validate this? You know, was it a peer-reviewed article? I know it's not academic necessarily, but you know, was it something where I can yeah. I can substantiate the quality of information before I consume it? That would be really beneficial, right, for us at the end of the day. So absolutely. Yeah. So, anyways, it's it, I know the future really it's wide open, but I mean, you can see the convenience of it. You can also see some of the inconvenience of it because, you know, yeah, bias is going to still be a problem and we have to figure out ways to do it. But we now have this amazing technology to help us with not only advancing, but also, you know, protecting ourselves. 
Absolutely. I already brought up the dawn of the internet. So just to complete our checklist in terms of metaphors <laughs> for our, the dawn of artificial intelligence, I think just in terms of everything you're saying about, you know, the misinformation or or really just being able to have faith and trust in these systems from, you know, a simple truth standpoint, that's a lesson I think that goes straight back to the to the dawn of the printing press. And that might be a long process, but what came out of the printing press in order to assure that the information you know, coming from those systems was reliable was the the academy and in peer review. So I think with along all of the possibilities, and I mean, even when, when you talk to, you know, a lot of people in the LLM space, they're often talking about, you know, the hardcore hallucinations, the mixing up of context, maybe not so much misinformation. They are two different issues. But just in terms of the hallucinations and the mixing up of context, that might be a short term problem. I, I don't even right. want uh, right. to get my horses out in front of the carriage and say, oh, this will be gone in a few months. You talk to some people out there and, and they're making those those kinds of predictions. But hallucination specifically might be a problem along the lines of, you know, wow, it takes, you know, the New York Times page to load in 40 seconds as of 1998. But by 2004, that's a different scenario. Whatever the future may look like, though, Carm, I think we've got a much better idea of it now, thanks to your appearances on the show. So we really, really appreciate it and looking forward to having you back. I'd be glad to come back and thank you again for having me. It's always a pleasure. If you enjoyed Carm's insights on today's episode, don't forget to check out our other episode with Carm. This is the final in a three-episode series we've been featuring, Carm, talking about generative AI and the future this means for different industries. The first episode premiered August 30th and is titled Operationalizing Gen AI Models to Increase Business Value. The second episode premiered September 18th, and it's called How to Identify high ROI use cases for generative AI and achieve success quickly. And don't forget to check out the first episode we had, Carm, back in March. That's March 30th. Not talking about generative AI, but interesting nonetheless. That title is Laying the Groundwork for AI Transformation Through Infrastructure. Very interesting stuff and a subject we've been talking about in a couple of different places on the program, of course, as longtime listeners know. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast. 